What's going on, y'all? This is part three of a three-part Champagne Sharks episode. And this is the final part. So if you haven't listened to the first two parts, please do that first. And if you have, then jump on in and enjoy this finale of the three-parter. All right. And without further ado, let's get it on. Here is here are some questions from the audience. I forgot to ask ask these before we, before we go. This I feel like we've kind of already discussed. So, I, but I'll give it anyway. But I think this is what the whole episode is about. They wanted to know how you feel about are there structures that can challenge driverism? Is there a conduct we can adopt to deal with it better? They mentioned the whole non the whole mindset of getting in the room. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm writing this down as you speak. That's okay. why I'm silent. You're getting in the room. Yeah, yeah. So they've been listening to us all this while. Oh no, I announced before. Oh. Um, This is a perk of people who are patrons. They get to know which guests are coming on and they get to pose uh, questions for us to ask during the show. So go to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. I'm going to plug that if you want to be able to do the same thing with future guests, get your questions asked. This is by Gav in the Discord. So what are the other questions? Sorry. Oh, you want to get all the questions first. Okay. I was going to ask you them one at a time. Okay. So no, you know, maybe three of them. I'm just trying to understand also what striverism, what they mean. But I think I know what they mean. And you said striverism, yeah, mindset what? of getting in room. Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean? Um, well, basically. Getting um, the attention, getting. I'll give, I'll give a great yeah. example. Because this was a play, a musical kind of written by someone who I think uh, is of this mindset. But Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think Hamilton is very interesting because I think Hamilton basically rewrites American history of white founders, but through the lens mm-hmm. and value system of neoliberal minority strivers. Right. Yeah. So, and then put themselves in the story, like immigrants, we make it yes. happen. You know, like like yes. basically instead of challenging the structure, they want to retroactively yes. write themselves yes. into the structure. And one of the main songs of that uh-huh. play is uh, "I Want to Be in the Room Where It Happens." Oh, it happens. I see. Yeah. Got it. I got it now cool 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 yeah yeah i thought that was an interesting song i'm like that song is so kind of tacky but i guess that's probably how lin-manuel miranda thinks yes yes Okay, and then is there a third yeah. maybe question? Uh, um. Okay, I want to ask Yasmin about her takes on how we handle messy figures in general in mm-hmm. regards to issues like sex crimes. Yeah, she's <gasps> oh, the perfect I love person. That question. Yeah, she's the perfect person to ask because she's never been one to be afraid to talk about and has essentially written about why sex offender mm-hmm. res- registries are awful and counterproductive. Yeah. Oh, I love this. Along person. with her talking about messy LGBT figures that get little coverage. Yeah, yeah so. like like Milo, uh, like I, Milo. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, I could go on for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think okay, that's it. Oh, and and then and then there's one last one that mm-hmm. this one actually came came from me. Um, <laughs> but um, what do you think about the fact of the left or what is passive for left leftist media now? Mm-hmm. This new ascendant leftist media about how um, it views itself as being above this culture industry. Right. And, oh, you know, thank you. <laughs> mocking like for, like for example I know they always love mocking yes. wokeness and and mocking oh people just love this because it's about a woman or right. you know like uh, people are turning Wonder Woman to a feminist fable right. or it's just Wonder Woman yeah. or whatever but they'll do the same thing with things like uh, Star Wars Last Jedi yeah, or right. with the, the Joker with, right. or right. they turn these things into like these deep class allegories yes, where I'm like yes. uh, the, the Joker is just anti-establishment in a way yes. that a 4chan chud can be as 
excited about as <laughs> right. a leftist. Like, like they're doing the same right. thing with uh, left capitalism. Uh, it's what I call it. I call it leftist uh-huh. capitalism that they accuse liberals of doing with war capitalism. Right, right, right. And, and that could be the third one. Oh, excellent. So I have actually four, but yeah. Oh, actually, the first two were together, striverism and getting in the room. Yeah, those getting in the two. room. So which one do you want me to take on first? I'll let you decide. Mm. You're the the guest. So, you know, I want to look at the striverism one because that's interesting to me since that's something that I hadn't, you know, thought about so much. That's interesting. So I like doing things that I haven't thought about enough. Uh, So I think, yes, well, I think I have not, I have neither read nor watched uh, because I don't have $1,500 apparently of Hamilton. (laughs) Uh, But I am, of course, you know, I've written about and I'm deeply well acquainted with immigration and and the discourse around immigration. And I think, unfortunately, so this whole notion of, you know, getting in the room, the striver sort of mentality, uh, becoming a better American than Americans, etc. That has always undergirded, I think, the American vision of what a good immigrant is. Uh, and what it means is, you know, the sort of preponderance, you know, the dominance of those narratives, right? Getting in the room, striverism, all of that. The dominance of the narratives literally simply means that immigrants are always set up for failure. And I think this is one of the many reasons why the United States still has this massive crisis of immigration, because it is setting them up for failure, because you can never be, right? You can never be what you're constantly striving to be, because the system is set up to destroy you. So um, the system is set up, you know, so the narratives at work in that Range might be, for instance, oh, you know, we have all these romantic tales of the bodega owner, right? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. or the guy who takes his cart out. You know, you read these stories every now and then in the New York Times. You know, this man, you know, he, he plowed his, you know, he took his cart out in the snow and the sun every day for 15 years and he sent his child to Harvard yeah? <laughs> or something like that. Oh, yeah. But, and of course, so that looks like a success story because, oh, look, he got into Harvard. But it ignores a number of things. It ignores the fact that, for instance, a really good system in America would be more like the one in Canada where we don't have such drastic differences between universities, right? So everyone mm-hmm. should be able to get an excellent college education regardless of where they go. That's one issue. The other issue is that someone shouldn't have to kill himself, you know, physically wear his body down in order to send his kids to college. That's not success. That's a sign of how much the system breaks you down. Um, And of course, the third thing is, you know, if you're talking about, oh, sending your kids off to some prestige elite institution or setting them up in any kind of capitalist, you know, saying, oh, so-and-so became, you know, a a high-placed CEO or whatever, you're still simply affirming a brutal system. Now, you could argue, of course, well, what if this man's, you know, child became a doctor, etc. But I guess what I'm trying to really, the broader point I'm trying to make is that these narratives, this whole narrative around striverism, around, you know, good immigrants making it, right, against all odds, it simply reifies the bad odds. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's the exception that proves yes, the rule. Exactly. And it, but also what it's saying is that the, the odds are fine. It's fine that the system is so horrible. It's basically saying uh, that yeah, it's basically because you might be one of the ones yes, that makes it. You might be but you know, we're not gonna change the system. But you, oh boy, you should keep trying to change the system. You should keep trying to get into the system. But we're not gonna change how brutal and horrible the system is. And, and I think it's where a lot of these culture industry uh, influencer types, they have put so much time. It's like a sunk cost thing. Like we've gone to the best schools, yes. we've followed the rules. You can't get rid of the system now because as unfair it is, as, as it is, even though we're uh, of color or women or whatever, we've put in our bid doing this and, you know, it's going to make our time doing it like a waste. So in a way, they have a different interest than the people who have not tried to navigate the system and learn not to navigate it. Like, you know, like, hey, if you get rid of this fucked up system, my going, my being the black person or the woman or the Latina or the Indian person that went to Harvard and interned here doesn't help me any more than right. the... Um, black person who is homeless or the Indian person that owns a bodega or drives a cab. Like it's, I'm so, yeah, I think uh, that kind of happens too, where once you spend that much time trying to strive yourself, it's hard to imagine a world right. where that's not rewarded. Exactly. You, you haven't gotten your payday right. yet. Right. And it's hard to imagine a world where that system doesn't exist. And that should yes. be the utopia. The utopia should not be the striving. The utopia should be a world where the striving doesn't have to exist because that yes. immigrant could have come in and, you know, the immigration official could have said, what do you need? Do you need healthcare? Do you need dental? Do you need mental? What do you need? Here you are. Go ahead. You know, go make a good life for yourself. We will give you money, for instance, to get started up so that you don't have to go out into the streets every day, you know, putting your body through all this arduous uh, rituals. You can you can just have a good life, right? So the system should not exist. So the striving, this constant idea of striving, what is it? What is that famous line? Even I know this famous line from Hamilton. Uh, was that line? Uh, immigrants. We get the job we get done. Get the job done, right? And I suppose I don't know if it's ironic or not in the play because I haven't seen. Um, that I don't think that play has a <laughs> lick of irony to it. It's, that's it's very very. That's earnest. really frightening. Yes. Yeah. So that itself, right? So what that says is, oh. Validate the immigrant who literally bleeds to death for America, but let's not create a system where he doesn't have to do that. Um, yeah, and it's a way to kind of want to tell people, I think particularly those people that like those books that we talked about, but the second generation, mm -hmm. yes. immigrant struggle, right. like that, hey, right. you're part of this mm -hmm. tradition. Like like when you watch the founding, the founders mm -hmm. or whatever, you're not supposed to identify with the Indians who got right. decimated. Right. You're not supposed to identify with the slaves. Slaves, right. You're supposed well, to look at this yes. and see yourself as one of the founding yeah, fathers. Yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, and, yes. And, and, very, very, very disturbing. Yes. Like, like, like this is who you're supposed to root for. Right. And what's funny is those guys weren't immigrants because England. No. This was a colony. England uh, was uh, England uh, ran America, so they were just British subjects moving from one colony <laughs> yes, to another. Yeah, they were just setting up space for that. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't considered going to a right. different country. It was like, oh, uh, you be you're being sent off to the you're at the head office now you're going to go to the hong kong bureau <laughs> exactly exactly that's that's not what an immigrant is they weren't right. leaving no, one country no, and culture no, no. to assimilate or go to another no. one they were just british people moving right. around the british empire spreading seeds yeah, no, those are really yep, good points. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, yeah. And I get to the sex, uh, messy figures, sex offender registries, messy LGBTQ figures. I am so glad uh, that this question was asked because one of... Yeah, and that's 
asked by Anarcho what it's weird to use people's screen names out loud, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great question. I'm so glad this question was asked because especially nowadays, you know, in the uh, with the rise of uh, a lot of discussions around prison abolition, right? And so I was delighted as much as I loathed the New York Times. I was really delighted that uh, that they had Ruth Wilson, Wilson Gilmore featured in the New York Times magazine this last year. And it was a really good essay about prison abolition and also you know, all this ridiculous uh, emphasis on private prisons when private prisons are not. Anyway, the point of it being, you know, it was, a, it was interesting to see that even in the New York Times, you had this, you know, this hardcore prison abolitionist being featured. So the point being, there's an amazing conversation and perhaps a shift in terms of how we're thinking about mass incarceration, etc. However, and I think the person who posed this question is aware of this. However, even in, among prison abolitionists, there is a complete deadening silence about people whom no one wants to touch. And that includes people like sex offenders, quote unquote, sex offenders. There's a lot of, there's complete silence on sex offender registries. You know, so Florida law in, in actually 2019 uh, restored the vote to felons. However, they made the exception for sex offenders. I've talked to a few people on the ground who worked on the issue and they said, yeah, we just got a lot of pressure. That was never going to happen, etc. So I think that for me, that's a terrible kind of limit case. And I think I uh, it's the reason why I, I, th I, I question the sort of, I have to question the, the politics of any movement that doesn't take into account the most hated and despised community of people. People, and that's sex offenders. So that to me is a problem that the prison abolition movement is not quite taking up that issue strongly enough. Um, the issue around, you know, especially around LGBTQ people, uh, everyone assumes that, everyone mistakenly, for instance, assumes that sodomy is no longer a crime. That's actually not true. Gay marriage did not render sodomy not a crime. Uh, wow, I didn't yeah, know that. No, that so what happened with the Texas case is not that, uh, you know, sodomy, quote unquote, is no longer a crime. It's that you can commit it in the privacy of your bedroom. Mm. That's what the, you see, the whole case was around these two men were in a private home when the police showed up. So the case completely was focused on the question of privacy. So what that means? Uh, something I don't, something I don't understand. What sex acts can you do in public? Like, like it seems weird that you have to carve out a special exception for sodomy. Right. Where, as far as I know, like there are no sex acts you can uh, do in public except like maybe kissing. Right, but but it also depends on who you are and where you are. So, for instance, if you are, you know, there, Debbie Nathan has written about how there was this one woman in this park who was regularly fucking men constantly under various trees. She was never once picked up. So lots of heterosexual mm. couples, as we, you and I both can attest, if we have wandered into parks at various times of night, you know, lots of hetero couples, right? Teens and, and adults are often having sex in parks. In fact, it's so much so that it's a trope in movies, as we know, right? Or yeah. and in television, you know, Buffy, for instance, you know, they all know about the, the point where all the kids go in their cars to make out. You don't see cops going 
driving around those cars. What does happen is a minute, and in fact, not only are gay men constantly picked up, right, for any kind of sexual or, you know, even for kissing, even now, right, kissing or intercourse, not only are they picked up, but police still regularly will send out people to entrap. Yeah. So entrapment is still a big deal. In and so the difference there, right, is that if you are a gay man, especially a gay man of means, and you're doing stuff, you know, you're upper middle class, a middle class guy, and you're out at the bars and the clubs, and then you go home with someone, that's fine. That's legitimate. But if you take it outside, that then becomes a sex crime in itself. You know, so I wouldn't say sex crime, but you know, that becomes like something for which you can get arrested or worse uh, some years ago there was a black gay man well actually it turned out that he was a black he was a black man in a i think in a business suit etc i bring all of this up because he was shot to death uh, by in New York, I believe he was a visitor from out of town. He was in the park, um, and I forget what the exact circumstances were, but he was shot to death, and it was discovered that in fact he was, you know, forget where he was from, but he was a quote unquote family man, etc. So then that whole case became even more complicated. But the fact is, you know, he was a black gay man <laughs> caught quote unquote in the park uh, and shot. Uh, he wasn't even trying to, uh, you know, he wasn't trying to. Uh, hurt anyone etc so, yeah so the point about all of this is simply that in i think we're forgetting so the, the question about sodomy laws right the question of uh, what kinds of sex acts you perform in public here's how it affects especially for instance uh, especially lgbtq people especially lgbtq people who do uh sex trade sex work on the street because they can't you know they, they don't have places to go to they can't sometimes can't afford to have hotel rooms, hotel rooms or they're not yeah. you know, high paid escorts they are the ones who are getting uh, rounded up and caught and incarcerated on charges of sodomy yeah and the escort who can afford like, yes, a room in a posh exactly. hotel and then just sit uh there was this hotel that i used to go to in um manhattan it was a hotel bar and what's funny is this hotel bar kind of got overrun by sex workers it was the mm, uh, mm -hmm. I, I feel like if i say the name of it i'm gonna be sending I people know, right? <laughs> actually, but, actually, but, 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 but who cares uh it's a w uh, hotel in oh, the manhattan. w uh-huh yeah well apparently a lot of w's actually get a lot of sex workers I, I found out this was not a a, a rare thing but you know what happened right. is they'll get a hotel in the upscale hotel I mean, they'll get a room in an upscale hotel then they'll camp out at the bar mm -hmm. you know um so then this was like a long time ago. When the W was the hotel to be at. Right. Yeah, when it was the hotel. And now I think it's kind of uh, like past it's mid, and, Yeah, it's mid-bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's kind of like a TGI Friday. Yes. It's, it's, like it's like the Olive Garden of hotels now. Right. At the time, during <laughs> no, that no, first I remember when they first showed up. They were, they were, yeah, when they yes. first showed up, uh, it was during the first dot-com mm -hmm, boom. Mm -hmm. A lot of tacky new money used to go yep. there. So what, what happened is, uh, I'm sure it's not like this anymore, even with the sex workers, but a lot of, like I used to go there a single guy and you would you'd be thinking oh man i uh i must look good tonight my cologne must be really working because uh, i am cleaning up i'm cleaning up with the ladies right. and you realize uh she'd be like hey i have a room you want to go upstairs uh, you know right. I'm like oh my god is this, is this real life and then it'll be like yeah it'll cost you this x y and z You're like oh man that's what this is and uh but people like that how are they gonna get in trouble right. really right. because they're they're in a upscale bar mm -hmm. cops aren't really doing nope. stings nope. there no nope. they look, they look like anybody yeah they look like anybody else right. 
uh, I would not have known until we got to that point in the conversation that I was talking to a, a sex worker. Mm -hmm. Just there in uh, plain sight. Right. So, yeah. I see, so I that's, yeah. And, and in terms of, you know, LGBTQs and, um, you know, this person's wonderful framing, which is messy figures, right? Especially sex offender registries. I've actually written, they might, they might actually be familiar with my work on this, but there is a long article that I did for investigative piece that I did for the Windy City Times about LGBTQ people and sex offender registries and the different ways they get doubly and triply marginalized. Um, because as you know, there's already a long history of LGBTQ people being picked up and being pathologized uh, and being criminalized just for being LGBTQ people. And then even yeah, with and, all and, these changes. And that's sodomy, that's sodomy law mm -hmm. in a way is kind of like that because I figure since there's already laws in the books to bust heterosexual people mm -hmm. having sex, even if they're not fairly, um, first is what you said, but they're not fairly applied. No. So that woman who was having sex in the trees, she's not getting... Uh, busted the way the lgbtq yeah. people are but on top of that when they do bust the lgbtq person they're going to bust them for the lot that the heterosexual person would have got busted for like public decency. yes public exactly decency, multiple public charges yes yeah yes. and they'll get yes. the and they'll get right. the sodomy thing exactly. which is you exactly. know mainly right. targeted toward gay right. so right. and there's another one right yeah but there's another interesting wrinkle in this as well for trans people so what I find also unsatisfactory right now about the conversation around trans people and trans deaths right now, especially, is that a lot of people will say, you know, there's a spike in trans deaths, a lot of trans murder. And we know this is true. I don't necessarily know if there's a spike. I think what's happening is that there's more reporting. I think what's happening yeah. now is that people are actually paying attention to the fact that trans people have always, because here's the thing, trans people have been always extraordinarily vulnerable to violence and murder for a very long time. Because for a lot of trans people, the minute they come out, right, they are thrown out of the rampart. You know, they're just thrown out of normal, quote unquote, society. They often lose their jobs. They lose their families. The children might cut off ties. Their spouses, will, you know, all of that. They lose everything. It's very hard to enforce housing regulations. So you could technically be in a state that says you cannot discriminate in housing against trans people. That doesn't mean that when you go to make an application, right, for housing, the landlord yes. will say, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, give me your application. Literally, I've heard of this so often. The minute you walk out the door, they throw the application into, into the trash basket, right? So trans people yeah. are extraordinarily vulnerable. The difference now, I think, is that we're paying attention to the numbers in terms of violence and death. So that's something that I want to talk about. That's one, some, one thing I want to say. The other thing I want to say is that, you know, we tend to forget that trans people are, in terms of the most marginalized, messy figures, as it were, when we say things like trans people are murdered for who they are, we're doing a massive disservice to a large section or significant section of the LGBTQ community. Because when we say that someone is simply being murdered, and I don't mean simply, but you know, that they're being murdered for their identity, we erase the many, many complicated economic, political, cultural factors that are actually also a part of that identity, right? So it's the economic vulnerability that makes a trans sex worker, you know, compels a trans sex worker to do sex work on the street, as it were, within a street economy, which makes them more vulnerable, which makes them more likely to be beaten up 
up, which makes them more likely to be murdered, etc., etc. So that's also, and I think there's more better reporting on all of this. There's more complication. But I think what I find very worrisome about the current state of journalism and LGBTQ issues is that everyone's got this one narrative that they think they've got to keep pumping up right which is trans people are being killed in larger numbers they're being killed in larger numbers because of who they are and my friend kate sarson wrote a really interesting piece a while back about you know this is what these some problems with just talking about murders but i think for the most part most of the lgbtq gay pr- you know the press and the mainstream press loves this narrative of trans people are being murdered in larger numbers and they're being killed for who they are, which allows us to completely ignore the fact that we in this country, for instance, do not have guaranteed housing for all, right? We don't have universal health care. You see what I mean? Those systemic yeah, things yeah. Not, would help not just trans people, would, would help everyone. But we focus so much on the question of identity and we focus so much on the question of hate crimes, which is an Another piece of bullshit legislation that needs to be, you know, done away with. But we cling to that, right? But all those things yeah. allow us to think of them as, oh, this is all about their identity. And also the whole hate crimes and rise in crimes thing is being spurred yeah, on by this hate crimes industrial complex. Oh, and it's so complicated yes. too, because it's like even if you want to view it as identity, like I have a whole problem with the whole trans murder discourse as it is. Because there's what you said about, they're not talking about the structures, right? That happen and what's going on and how the systemic things that allowed us to happen. But even even if you're going to talk about that, the identity that they're choosing to focus on, I think is oftentimes the wrong identity. And it's it's in a way that actually ends up becoming, I think, kind of unwoke racist in its own way. And what I mean by that is I did a lot of research into the whole claim about uh, the trans murders and stuff, right? And I did this thing. I was going to do a whole show about it. And I just never ended up doing it. But I started researching all the... Um, places all the stories i would get the annual reports and i'll go through story by story and there's a disproportionate amount of them that are uh black and trans mm-hmm. right that's a um, huge so, part of the equation yeah it's huge. a huge part but then i started looking at where all these people lived right yeah now first first they all live yeah. uh a lot of the times in the so-called ghetto yes where there's just a ton no services of yep. black death yes in general, in general right yes yeah, and so that's how I'm looking. I said, okay, what we need to do is figure out if the proportion of black men, because it's mostly black men who are dying, mm-hmm. is the proportion of uh, black men dying compared to the amount of black men in the population, is that proportionally less the amount of black trans people who are dying in relation to the total number of black trans people in those mm. uh, neighborhoods? And based on best case calculations, proportion of black men who die in these particular neighborhoods, are they dying at the same rate or sometimes even mm. more than black trans people in these neighborhoods by the best estimates? And what kind of happens is not only are you focusing mm-hmm, on identity, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like which identity is actually being targeted? Because if you look at white trans death numbers, they're way, way lower. Mm. So it's like their race, where these white trans people are able to live, right. the, the, the the money right. that they tend to have, compared, right. compared to black trans people. Like, And isn't it to say that trans people don't face legitimate um, problems? Like the employment stuff, the housing Medis- things, the medical, um, care. medical care. Like this is not to say that, hey, 
trans problems are invented or not real. But when they take away focus from black death, because this is what kind of bothers me about it, right? Black men have been dying in these neighborhoods mm. for so long. And these neighbors have incredible, like when I was looking up the neighborhoods, I was looking them up on housing sites and they were having like record years. A lot of these mm -hmm. um, neighbors were like top five deaths or they had like a banner mm. year for, for death. So for you to go through all those dead black men mm. to pick out a couple of trans people because you want your trans cause to be um, elevated. This is what a trans activist told me. Uh, it was a black trans activist. They told me this on uh, Twitter. They said that a lot of uh, white queers mm -hmm. uh, use a lot of social capital yes. on things like gay marriage yes. and yes. bourgeois type of problems. And now that they got gay marriage, yes. a lot of people shit. aren't taking... Yeah, a lot of people don't give, give a shit they because a shit. they didn't really spend a this lot of time focusing on... This has been the on, case everywhere the gay marriage was fought. In Canada, I've had many friends who are trans, who are of indigenous descent, who have said the same thing to me. They said, once those motherfuckers got their gay marriage, the rest of us... And Canada is at least better, right? In the sense that they already have healthcare and all of that. They have a certain... They at least have a different social service. You know, they have a social um, support system, etc. Yeah. They already have some advantages over us. But even there, you know, and especially with neoliberalism, all of that is facing attrition and my trans and indigenous friends have said yeah you know when the whole gay marriage thing came about in in canada which they didn't even really need kind of canadians are not running to get married because they don't have to get married for health care right exactly, but they said exactly. immediately these bastards all left the table um and left us yeah and, and, left us high and dry but something else that kind of happened too interesting a lot of people left the table but then the people whose job it is to be activists mm -hmm. they have to keep getting interest exactly. so then what they were saying is um, because a lot of them are bourgeois uh, queer people who don't really have the most compelling mm -hmm. problems to put to the front, but they want to get this grant money. Mm -hmm. which is what, what she was complaining about, this is what uh -huh. her complaint was. She says like- They were using, they, yes. These these kind of uh, black problems, yes. labeling them as, as trans problems, but then keeping the money yes. and only applying it toward oh. gay issues that benefit them. Oh but not any issues that benefit Can black people. you and like, I you know? please continue talking about this and maybe, I don't know, this... I, I, mm, I'm yeah. going to try to get that black trans yes. activist to come on as a yes. guest. I'm, I've been trying to get her get her to come mm -hmm. on, but she kind of doesn't want to, but she's well, always giving me this dirt in, her, listen, in my DMs about her trouble with white queers. The gay yeah. community is the most toxic one on the freaking planet. So they will go after her. And she that's what she said caused, no no she has cause to worry because they will fucking ruin her career if they if if they want to and they probably will want to if she comes out and says all of this so yeah, yeah. i've always asked her if it's okay to talk about this stuff on air right. and she said it's fine right as long as you stuff. don't mention she's always, name right yeah but she's always told me like uh that she has a lot of problems yeah. with the white queer community yes. and the racism and she's and she said that's uh part mm -hmm. of it like there's been a couple of black queer people mm -hmm. who have written me about it who are just like um no it's Endemic. Yeah, I mean, I can talk to a journal friend of mine and see. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, but I think they, yeah, no, no, this, this is, this is the problem, right? Where the money in the gay community went towards, and this is what Against Equality has said for years. We said this at the very beginning. We continue to say it as we approach our 10th anniversary, by the way, about which I'll be contacting you. But one of the things we've said over and over again is the gay movement is taking resources away from everyone else. And no one would believe us when we said this at the very beginning. And we have articles, you know, dating from 2009, 2008, where 
and he said this over and over again, 2010, 2013. But now we're seeing this. And even now, of course, they want to deny it, which is why the woman you spoke to says, you know, she's afraid to come out and be public about her her analysis around all of this. But this is completely true. Uh, and now what's happening, of course, in the gay community is that they are using issues like, quote unquote, queer youth homelessness and trans violence, you know, violence against trans people and trans murders. They're using that to whip up more money for themselves. But the communities that they that need the money, which is to say, you know, the trans and often the POC trans community is not seeing much of that money. It's the same damn thing that happened to Jane Harris. Same goddamn thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because there's a lot of people whose queerness coincides with issues that face them as black Mm -hmm, people, as as, as brown people, and as poor people. Mm, Poor people. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of poor white uh, queers who disproportionately end up being uh, homeless and stuff. Yes. And much, especially poor boy you know white trans people are much more vulnerable you know people who are not gender conforming trans people are vulnerable of all races you know if you don't Mm -hmm. play up to all you know the the gender requirements of gender no this is this is this is a real 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 problem uh in the lgbtq community and i think this is why you know to go to your um your patrons uh question around yeah, sex offender registries, of course, contain <laughs> the most problematic, messy figures, right, as far as the queer community is concerned, because the gay community has had a long history of being vilified, stigmatized as, you know, quote unquote, pedophiles. But also the gay community had a long history of intergenerational sexual relationships or sometimes just relationships that were not always explicitly sexual but of mentorship because that's how gay men in the past would come out you know you'd leave your small town and if you were lucky you ended up in a place like chicago or san francisco and then you found and you formed your own social structures and they were often older gay men and women who would induct you as it were you know into the community and who would mentor you and take care of you. And sometimes, yes, those relationships were sexual occasionally, right? I, I we think, want to that, forget that what, history. Uh, we want to erase yeah, that I think history. Milo, I think it's what Milo was uh, Milo trying to talk about when he got, when he got canceled. Milo had five minutes. Yeah, I wrote that article about how he went from being queer to gay. He had five minutes yep, in yep. his life, literally five minutes in his life where Milo was stunningly intelligent and clear. Exactly. I was like, exactly. oh my God, I, I, you know your shit. You're Ironically, yes. ironically, he he got canceled for actually yes. saying something the good. The one time in his life where he made sense, he was lucid, he was intelligent. Yeah, and boom. And of course, he has even, since then, as you know, you know, he's even walked back all of that, and he now denounces other people as pedophiles, etc. But those were like the five, and those five minutes I think are still available for viewing online. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they yeah. are. It's only it's only the stuff that that you want to that you want to keep that. <laughs> Yes, like how many of my articles (laughs) (laughs) I'm putting up my new website and I've been going through, you know, recovering stuff. And let's just say the Wayback Machine (laughs) has been a great help. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But but I'm sure like the stuff that you want to go away is never. Oh, yeah. No, that'll never. That'll keep haunting me. There's this one really bad photograph of me, which was ironically taken by a friend of mine who was also interviewing me for something. And this is back in the day when I really hated to be photographed. I mean, I hate it and my hair was not good like my hair had been cut too short etc etc so i had this really grumpy face and this bad haircut <laughs> and that fucking photograph 
<laughs> follows you everywhere. Follows me everywhere. <laughs> so yes, there's always stuff <laughs> that will follow you around. Um, oh, and then you asked about the left leftist media, and um, yeah, you know, in terms of, I was thinking about criticism. Yeah, this idea, this idea that they're above having a culture, right, right, or, yeah, and, and there's they still have right. them now, and it, I, I'm, I'm almost dying for it to be uncool again, so we can get like more ser- more serious writing again. You and- know, I mean, I so one of my biggest beefs about A.O. Scott, whom I've never really liked as a critic, right, uh, for the New York Times, he's the film critic, and I've often mm-hmm. not liked. His, you know, his criticism. I think he's a little stuffy. I think he suffers from wanting to be his mother, who is basically a, a rather well-known. Uh, his mother is a well-known academic, and I think A.O. Scott just wants to be a well-known academic and resents that he's not. So he writes in this really sort of potential intellectual way. I've always disliked his critic. Well, criticism. well you know, that's so funny that, that he's someone who wants to be like, you know, taken seriously, but he's stuck doing culture. <laughs> right? There's a lot of people who just and you can tell he hates it. Like when you watch him in interviews, yeah. you can tell he's just like, I really try. I'm actually talking about. I may be talking about the recent Avengers movie, but I'm actually talking about Nietzsche. <laughs> you just don't know it. But anyway, yeah, and, and, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and, and this culture war influencer people, yes. they'll. They love talking about right. Avengers. They'll just try to elevate know, it to something like, uh, hey, deeper. Again, than... I'm like men in tights, women in swimsuits. <laughs> what are you getting all riled up about? But anyway, so he reviews this film. This, I, I swear this is going to make a point, right? That you want me to get to. He reviews this film called The Secret Life of Pets. I read this review and he, and I will admit that this is one of my weak spots, right? This is one of, this is also one of my weak moments. He didn't like the film and he sort of criticized it for essentially not being social justice enough, right? But that's mm. not what got me. What got me is that he essentially, he made a very funny and sweet, I thought, point about the fact that this was a film about dogs and it needed to be a film about cats. Now, I, as many people might know, I'm a huge cat lover. I'm also a dog lover. But like, if you say to me, oh, it needs to be about cats, I will believe you. I will, you know, I'll follow you like as if you were the Pied Piper, right? So... I then take his critique seriously. You know, in the back of my mind, there's a bit of a red flag, you know, I'm like, well, what does he mean social justice? But I'm like, oh, but he likes cats. And, he's like, hey. and I thought to myself, oh, Scott is a cat person. Oh, I'm almost changing my mind about him. So then I don't watch the movie. Because I stupidly rely on A.O. Scott's critique, right? About six months later, the movie shows up on Netflix. And I was like, okay, well, you know, it is, you know, I wasn't in the mood for anything. I don't watch movies anymore. I only, I don't watch films. I only watch movies. So I'm like, okay, here's, you know, a cartoon movie. Let me, t- it's fucking brilliant. And yeah, it's, a, fun it's movie. a great movie. It's hilarious. It's funny. It's kind of cool in its politics. There's an anarchist bunny, you know? Like, it's funny as hell. And I realized that I had been completely duped by A.O. Scott because motherfucker couldn't just let himself be a critic reviewing a cartoon. He had to take it, he had to look at the film as a social justice project. And he critiqued it purely from that vantage point when he shouldn't have. And I should have not have, you know, listened to him. I was blown yeah. away Especially if it's not, especially if it's not, especially if it's not trying to be. It isn't. It's a great film. It is not trying to be anything but a funny film about the secret life of lives of pets. 
Um, This is a problem with critics these days. They cannot. And the other side of that, of course, is that they will often look at a cultural text and praise it to the skies because even though it's a piece of shit. So my example, the one that I wrote about when the first, the second, the the new Ghostbusters came out, you know, the all-female Ghostbusters. Total piece of crap, first of all. It was not well done. The plot was incomprehensible. The one thing you could say about the original Ghostbusters, there was a decent plot, right? Big meanie comes down from the sky and threatens to swallow the world. (laughs) And the Ghostbusters have to stop big meanie. I get that, right? But there was nothing like that in the female Ghostbusters. Secondly, and very importantly, the one black woman that they had, Leslie Jones, I think, was the one who played her, was horribly... It was like a mammy role. It was so yeah. racist. And, and and one thing is messed up is that the first one was already so already, racist. And how they, already. Yeah, yeah. So they didn't even redo that. That's the that. easiest thing to exactly. correct. That's a, They're like, this is 2018 or whatever. Let's at least not repeat that shit where we had the one black guy basically do nothing. Yeah, and not be a scientist. Yes, and not, he was the only uh, one who wasn't a scientist. And what do they do? They replicate that. Yep. She is, you know, like a, uh, I'm, I want to say CTA because I'm in Chicago, but she's like an MTA conductor, you know, and she's all sort of horrified and overawed by all these white lady scientists. And then she keeps rolling, the way she rolled her eyes and the way, you know, she they made her, yes, the, the way the gestures that she was, I was just sitting in my seat and squirming at that performance. So... That stupid film, Manola Dargis of the New York Times praises, and she basically says in a discussion about the film, well, it doesn't matter. We just need to support this film because it's, a, you know, it's, it's Trump era, it's Hillary Clinton's, blah, blah, blah. No matter what, we have to support this film. I'm like, really? But, but, this, but, you know, but it's interesting, though. This is where we are a lot of these, A lot of these leftists, though, will totally agree with you. They're some of the best people when it comes to critiquing this stuff. They were making fun of the Lady Ghostbusters. They were making fun of... Like, like they would be right there with you making fun of um, A.O. Scott for expecting yeah, supernatural no pets to be this or reading this stuff. I don't know why the man stuff, still but, has a job. Yeah, but they will still turn around and see a movie, whatever, and say, hey, this is actually a leftist movie because it had this throwaway line about, you know, uh, capitalism right. or something. And it's... Yeah, and that's the thing I find very interesting is that it's very hard to get out of this mode of being. There's something in the culture or the air that is making uh, everyone speak this kind of culture warrior right. language, even as they think they're, takes, they're transcending it. And it takes so little to make them happy. You just have to say one yeah. word, capitalism. <laughs> and they're all Ex- like having exactly. orgasms in the streets the next day. Did you see this film? This is an extraordinary slam or Zizek will do, you know, like a 45 minute long lecture on it and everyone will be, sh- well, I guess no one really pays attention. I don't think people really pay attention to Zizek very much. But you know what I mean. I mean, this, yeah. Yeah, the next, that's what I know. Yeah, the next day, they're all coming over themselves. For, for, for example, like the, the Joker thing had, did, did you see the Joker? I did. I liked the Joker, but I don't think it was, yeah, and I know what you're talking, I know where you're coming from. Yeah, it's like, I feel like it was taken from a lot of other movies. Mm, Maybe some of those other movies had a capitalist critique, but I think it was just kind of taken from other movies. But what I find interesting is, a lot of right-wing reactionary chud types also like they love it. the movie too. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. And, and what, what what they see it in a different way. What they'll see is like, okay, this guy right. was just killing people who were picking on right. him. 
yeah, he was picking, he was killing people who were picking on him. They, they were like, oh, he wasn't even a socialist or a cla- or anti-capitalist. He just killed people by, you know, because they were picking on him. And then all those crazy leftists read too much into it and turned it into an anti-capitalist thing. But to, to me, what they get out of it is a lot of these so-called leftists or socialists don't really give a shit about anything. They just want to riot. And... <laughs> And they're kind of dumb and easily misled. And they're just looking for a reason to riot. They're they're causing class issues where there is none. And this guy is just anti-establishment, you know? And so, so it's interesting, like, one group of people sees it as an endorsement of, uh, you know, leftist, anti-capitalist politics. Another group sees it as, as an opposition. indictment of... Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, they see it as an indictment of, uh, you know, uh, like Antifa mm. and stuff. It, it, they saw those people rioting at the end as like, right. you know, Antifa people just looking to punch something mm. or, or. Right. I mean, like I said, I, 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 I liked the movie. I liked that moment when he starts dance, but I have to rewatch it because I wanted to see it again to think about it a little bit more. Yeah, I'm, uh, just, I'm just skeptical that the yeah. guy who wrote Hangover was complaining about political correctness and and wokeness is going to do a very anti-capitalist right. movie. I don't think he really cares one way or the, the other. Uh, I think I think he wanted to do a movie about outsiders and right, stuff. Right, right. And, and that's... Uh, see, I thought the movie was interesting from that point of view, actually. In terms yeah. of how it sort of, in some ways, uh, externalized, right, the internal conflicts of someone who is so completely marginalized. And I found the Robert De Niro character for that reason really interesting, that he was in inserted into that film. I, that was kind of yeah. a sort of an interesting, I, I hate the word meta, but there was, you know, because I think, you know, when you see Robert De Niro in a film like that, of course you think about Taxi Driver, right? I mean, of course yeah. you can't. And I'll, so then you start to think about the larger sort of cinematic narrative that's being constructed here, right? About this yeah, paranoid... Have, have, you seen, have, you seen, have you seen The King of Comedy? Uh, yes, a long time ago, yes. Okay, it's it's equal yes. parts King of yes, Comedy yes, too, which yes, is also Robert yes. Robert De Niro. Absolutely. So especially two Robert De Niro yes. movies kind yes, of matched right? up. Yes, right. Exactly. So. Exactly. So I found it interesting as a film on on that level, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I didn't think as I as you know I felt about it the same way that I felt about you know yes, like you said, the Batman franchise. Uh, it's and and, and the funny thing was, I thought it was yeah, I thought it was silly. These people who read too much identity into it, like they were saying, oh, this is an incel movie. Like that, that was, was very stupid. Um, that was the dumbest. That, that was, was so, so that dumb. was so that was so dumb. That was so stupid. Yeah. The people said it's an like, oh, incel movie. Yeah. Or or it's a misogynist no, movie. No, no, I was just like, you know what? No, like, no, no. I, I agree with you. On that, I was just like, shut the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. But then a lot of the people who were making fun of that turned around and did the same thing with uh, anti-capitalism right, to the movie. Right. Where, where I don't think it was and thinking, again, you know, I don't you think movie was thinking say, too deeply. But, this guy yeah. is a director. He's interested in form. He's interested in palette. He's interested in movement. He's interested in doing something with this particular medium. Sometimes... That's all it is. (laughs) And it's okay to enjoy it on that level. There's a third movie in the mashup. I forgot Fight Club. It's Fight yeah, Club. Yeah, um, I hadn't thought about King, the King Fight of, Club thing. Yeah, right. Fight I need Club, to rewatch uh, Fight King Club. I have to admit. Yeah. I saw Fight Club when it first came out, and I think my responses to it would be very different now. I really want to see it again. Yeah, I think it. I think it ages well mm, because that's I what think I hear. It predicted, I hear that it, it predicted a lot of white. Yes. Of, I know you're not supposed to say this, but it predicted a lot of white male rage. And I yeah. think there was a Saturday Night Live skit everyone got mad about about saying all these movies about white male rage. Oh, 
Oh yes, when she really sang are. "White Male Rage," "White Male Rage." Yes, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, and a lot, a lot of leftists like hate that skit for some reason. <laughs> you know, they took it very defensive. I'm not sure. I why, didn't get defensive. I just didn't think it was as good as it could have been. It wasn't yeah, funny. That yeah, that was my. I problem agree with, with that. It. That was my big problem. I agree with I thought, that. Okay, it you just know what? This funny. could actually have been kind of. Because I don't, I don't have to agree with There's you. There's a germ of an insight yeah, there. There's exactly. a germ of an insight. There. And I don't even have to agree with you to find you funny. Like I don't agree with Steve Harvey, right? I really yeah. don't like Steve Harvey. But man, that episode on that Seinfeld show is the funniest one because he is mm-hmm. funny as hell. So I can actually find someone funny even when I don't agree with them. But with her, I was just like, this isn't funny. This is kind of, it's falling flat. You had, a, yeah, as you yeah. said, that there was a germ of an idea and you could have taken it and made it so much wittier and funnier. Yeah. Yeah. There was an insight yes. there that was touching Completely us, agree. something. Completely but, agree with yeah, you. Yeah, but, but they didn't unpack no, it into no. um, anything interesting. No, she was depending too much, or rather the writers were depending too much just on the song itself. The, the, the song yeah. and just the observation. Yes. Like, like, hey, we observed this about white male right. rage, but you know, they didn't really go anywhere no, with it or no, no. whatever. Uh, so I think, we could, I think we touched on everything. This was like <laughs> a lot longer than I expected. I but, Good luck editing but, it. But I told myself, I told myself, if you're not going to leave, then I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> Please. I was planning this to be two hours. I know. I was, uh, I was like, okay, yeah. it's 10 15, it's 11 15 for you. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't going to rush you off if no, you weren't I, leaving. I apologize. But, yeah. No, you should have shut me down. Seriously. No, you I mean, I, I, was, I was having a great time. But you don't understand. People really, really love you as a guest. When I announced that you were um, you. coming, uh, some girl actually typed in fangirl squeak. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't think anyone's going to complain okay. about you staying an extra hour okay. at all. And I wasn't complaining thank you, either. Thank so. you. Yeah, no, this was yeah. a great conversation. I guess we'll have to chop it up again, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, for, yeah, for sure. For sure. Thanks thank for so uh, joining for us. Thank you. Yeah, and I look forward to doing something with you again yes, soon. Yes, please. Thank you so much. Thanks. All so right, much. take care. Bye. Right, bye. bye.